0: Uh, one thing I noticed in this sphere is that nonfiction is giving so much credence um, over fiction. But I also recognize there was a real lack of stories that spoke to black and brown people in the nonfiction world and audio in general. But then when you look at the stories speaking specifically to young black kids, they just, they just don't exist. Um, they exist, but they're not given the same support
1: that I see some other shows being given. Every business. Whether or not they realize it is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter.
2: Hey everyone, I'm John Petrolis, Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray. This week on Gray Matter, we had the incredible opportunity to speak with storyteller Morgan Givens. Morgan chatted over the phone with Gray Project Manager and Gray Matter producer Joey Scarillo. Morgan is a writer, performer, and audio producer, but his journey began in an unexpected place as a police officer. Later, what began for Morgan as a news and talk show internship eventually turned into an incredible career in podcasting. He's been featured in The Washington Post, BuzzFeed, performed at Story District's Top Shelf, NPR's Invisibilia, and participated in the 2017 panel on the Art of Nonfiction Podcasting at the AFI Documentary Film Festival. And he's eventually focused his talents to create the Flyest Fables podcast to tell stories that challenge the narrative surrounding marginalized people and also give those people a platform to share and elevate their voices. Today we'll hear from Morgan about the inspiration behind Flyest Fables, how he went from police officer to audio creator, how he has given rise to a new voice and narrative within the podcast industry, and what he hopes to accomplish with this evolving idea. This is Morgan Gibbons. Uh,
0: you know, I hadn't really given much thought to what my career would be like, other than I knew it was something that um, I wanted to do that would be of service to people, whatever I ended up doing. Uh, I ran through being a police officer. I did work in prisons and then I accidentally
1: ended up in audio. How did that accidentally falling into audio uh, happen? Like, how, does one, how does one go from police officer to, uh, to audio?
0: I worked for an organization called Just Detention International, and I was a program officer there, so I was responsible for figuring out how to speak with people who were guards, people who were incarcerated, uh, to make prisons safer, um, to eliminate sexual violence in prisons. And, but it was a job where um, there's not a lot of room for creative fulfillment, <laughs> and uh, I had gotten into storytelling a bit earlier, a few years earlier, and, um, you know, I was on stage, and I was telling this story to people, and I was open and vulnerable, and they were leaning into what I had to say. And I was like, oh, this is this is something that can be used for for real for real good. Um, But it's something that's also dangerous because I could see how it was so easy to move people emotionally. Um, But I was like, what if I could reach more people um, than I can reach in this room and podcasting seemed like a natural fit. And so I started with a podcast I had called Dispatches, which was just me telling, you know, individual moments from my life, those little stories, those vignettes. And one day, I was scrolling Twitter at work on the company dollar, and I saw that 1A was looking for an intern. That's uh, the news and talk show I work for now. And I applied on a whim. At 31, uh, I knew the news wasn't where I really want to be, but I wanted to make sure I was in the room so I could learn and make my next decisions from there. And so that's kind of what happened. I, I saw this, you know, this random posting for a 1A internship, and I applied, and then... I got it. And I just kind of never looked back. So it wasn't something that was planned. I had no intention of ending up in audio or in public radio in, in any way. But, you know, life will do what life does, I guess. And when the opportunity presented itself, I, I tried to take it. Yeah, of course. And then how did that lead you to Fly's Fables? I have a three-year-old nephew. And... I was desperately looking for a book of modern fables that would be representative to him and his world and what it's going to look like as he grows and as our globe changes. Uh, And I couldn't find it. You know, I'm not saying these things don't exist, but I personally could not find it. And I just remembered when I was growing up, one of my favorite books was called The People Could Fly. And it was a book of South, um, you know, Southern black stories, uh, folk tales. And so I got him that, but I wanted something modern and current. And when I couldn't find it, You know, I said, well, I'm going to make it. Because if it doesn't exist, it should exist. And if these stories aren't out there for young black kids, I want them to be. And what I found is that when I started putting these stories out there, and granted my audience is specifically young black kids, specifically young black queer kids, is that other people, they feel something in these stories. There's some universal quality to them uh, that other people kind of latch on to. But I made it because it didn't exist. And I made it because I wanted my nephew to have it. And these were very much the stories I really wanted to hear growing up because I am a fantasy nerd and I've always loved musicals. And I'm just trying to combine all the things I love, almost like a love letter to myself, but like one to my nephew at the same time. I'm, I'm not quite sure if I'm making sense, but that's why I made it. You know, that's that's why, because it just I didn't see it. And so I decided to create
1: it instead. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. You found that there was something missing and... Um... You wanted to fill that, and I, I think that's really great. Um, how would you how would you describe Flyest Fables, the story and the podcast itself to somebody who's never heard it or never heard of it?
0: <laughs> uh, I would say Flyest Fables is a trip back to that old childhood nostalgia. Um, it's that feeling of someone taking time to care and nurture you and read to you and want you to understand the world and how it moves. But, you know, I would say that Fly's Fables is at its heart, Hope Punk, which is uh, a term that was coined by Alexandra Rollins. And at the center of Hope Punk is this idea that the world is nasty. Yeah, we know that. And people can be nasty. We can all be cruel. But there is good in us, and the good is worth defending, and the social good is worth defending. And in the darkest hours, you have to fight for that. And so I create these scenarios. I write these stories, these New Age fables, where the outside story is just a modern take on on all the things that we see moving around us. So the the first story opens up with a young boy named Antoine who's being bullied in school and there are so many people who have dealt with that. There are people who deal with being bullied as adults. And, you know, he's running from his bullies. And as he's running, he sees a tear and a fence and he goes through it, which is a common fantasy trope, right? I'm going to go through this thing and enter a new world. And when he gets there, he finds this magical book. And as he reads this book, he dives into this fantasy world where there's a princess named Keisha who must save her mother, who's the queen of stories and the kingdom of Orleans. And so as Keisha goes on her quest to save her mother, Antoine finds what he needs and gains the strength he needs to deal with the problems in his everyday life uh, and so I guess it's it is a touch of magical realism uh, it's old school fantasy with um you know a new modern twist but yeah I, I guess it's it's like black fairy tales that everybody enjoys uh with musical breaks yeah. um that would be the best way I know how to describe the
1: show yeah and um and so then the the name Flyest fables how did how did that come to you because <laughs> um, I
0: remember the the Fly Girls when I used to watch Live In Living Color growing up uh, and things just being fly, you know. Uh, yeah. My mom used to say that. And I used to be, Mom, you are so corny. But like, <laughs> uh, that's what she said growing up. Like if you saw somebody in some nice kicks, they'd be like, oh, them kicks is fly. <laughs> uh, and so fly is like this old school way of saying that's dope. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, that's fun. We love that. And so I wanted to recognize the roots of these stories, um, because they're not—they're new stories, but they're takes on things we've—we've we've all kind of heard, we've all kind of seen and sensed before. And I wanted to recognize the fact that fables reoccur in every society, in every culture, in every generation when they're needed. So it's—it's it's about harkening back and recognizing the fact that you know this is old school, but it's new school. And so these are flyest fables because they are fables for our 21st century, and they're fables. Through the lens of blackness, which is uh, something I don't see, or I don't know if I've seen before. But whoever else out there got it, you know, hit me up. You know, <laughs>
1: but yeah. One of the things that I love so much about the show is um, is that you you do all the voices, and I do, and I you know as a as a fan of audio fiction, I think um, you know that's that's really really cool. So can you talk about you know how you how you came up with. Um, wanting to to take on all those characters and and voice acting um, and sort of, you know, being all the voices and and being, you know, (laughs) the the face of this whole thing?
0: Sure. Um, Well, part of it was necessity because if I'm going to hire voice actors, I want to be able to pay them. So it's like... I don't want to take advantage of people and use their talents without being able to really acknowledge their work. And so it came down to me being like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to do it on my own. But also I wanted it to maintain that storybook feel. You know, because I remember growing up when my mom would read stories to me, she would become those characters. She would do their voices. Uh, But it still sounded like my mom. So it still sounded like the original person, but I could tell she was acting. You know, but I also come from a family of storytellers. You know, when people in my family tell stories, they don't just say, I went to the store and then the cashier was mean." You know, my mom would be like, I was at the store. And then this cashier looked me in my face, and can you believe what she said? She opened her mouth and she said to me. And so my mom would embody these characters. And so I want it to have that same sense of warmth and I wanted it to feel like you were being read a story and so the way I was able to do that one out of necessity but two being like okay I am going to channel what I remember growing up I am going to channel that sense of nostalgia because at the end of the day we all kind of want a good story you oh, know absolutely. and we want to hear the passion in that person's voice and the vulnerability in the voice and so it was out of necessity but it was out of very much keeping within the context of Flyest Fables because the entire thing is is a book, you know? It's a book within a book. And so how do you make something sound like a, a storybook, like you're being read to? Then it, it kind of fell down to me to narrate all of these characters. And when I think of my characters... I don't give a lot of descriptors to them because I want people to envision them as them, you know, in their on their own, using their own imagination, and I want people to see themselves in the characters, and I can't do that if I over-describe them, but I see them in my head. You know, I know who they are. I know what they're afraid of. I know what their dreams are. And the narrator outside of the book, the one who talks like this, you know, I picture him on a front porch with, like, a straw wicker hat and a corncob pipe, and he's sipping lemonade, and he's reading this story to the world. So these characters are very much real to me, but... It, it was one, me wanting to make sure it still felt like a storybook and me wanting it to have that really comforting feeling and then just out of necessity, out of a lack of resources. Uh, and, you know, it just, it all came together so perfectly and the story and the themes worked in a way that it was okay if I ended up voicing all of
1: them. Yeah, I, uh... I like to read to my two-year-old nephews, and um, mm-hmm. I, I totally do all the voices as well. I didn't I wasn't <laughs> even fully aware of it until you said it, but yeah, it, it, is, it definitely adds more fun to the storytelling when you, can, when you can do all the silly voices. And kids eat that up. They do. They love it. They're like, do the dragon again, you know? I have kids who hit
0: me up, you know, their parents are like, my daughter loves a dragon. And I'm like, I just get really close to the mic and lower my voice and make it rumbly and that's your dragon, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so.
1: Um, so, you know, the, the language in the imagery is, mm-hmm. is so beautiful throughout Fly's Fables. So um, you. could you just give us like a little peek behind the curtain on like some of your inspiration and where some of that um, imagery comes from for you? I mean, I know you sort of described your narrator character on the, on the front porch with a lemonade, <laughs> which definitely uh, I can see that picture. But um, for some of the other characters and for some of the stories, you know, where does that come from for you? Yeah, it's,
0: uh, well, you know, funny is that I know my, my words and the way my delivery has a poetic flow and people are always like, are you a poet? And I'm like, no, I've, I've never written poetry in my life. But I came to love poetry as I got older. And so I read a lot of poetry and I draw inspiration from that. But I, um, I was also a band geek, you know, and so... I pull the musicals, and I love musicals growing up, and I hear the songs, and I I go back to my old days in marching band. I go back to the days I was taught to read music and really understand how notes blend and scales come in in different places. And so I draw a lot of inspiration from my childhood uh, and from the people I know. But when I'm writing these stories, I'm stepping back and I'm looking at our world today. And I'm like, where is power concentrated? How did power get concentrated there? What has thwarted us from really addressing these issues? What is happening between us that keeps us from actually reckoning with what's going on and and, and preventing us from actually having an equitable world, a just world, and a kind world? And so I look at the world around me. I understand how white supremacy works and misogyny and and sexism and, and colonialism. And I'm like, how can I tell this story? In a way that young people see it at an age earlier than I did, uh, where they or and how can I tell this story where they recognize their strength uh, and know that their strength isn't tied solely to one person? Because even when I think about the civil rights movement. Um, you know Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X. All of those those two men are often held up as the pedestals of the movement. But what about all the people who made it possible? Because they weren't marching on their own. You know they weren't organizing on their own. And so I think if we remember to teach people, especially young people, that they have inherent power on their own, that they can be the heroes of their own stories, even if they're flawed and they make mistakes, you can come back from those mistakes. You can come back from that injustice, and you can keep moving forward together to address these things and so a lot of my inspiration comes from uh, some of the cynicism that I have about what I see around me with our politics and the way people are treated Uh, but also I grew up reading fantasy novels And I love fantasy novels, but I never saw myself in them. And that's changing now. You know, there there were authors before. They just weren't getting to shine. And more people are getting, you know, recognized. But I draw inspiration from old school fantasy novels. I draw inspiration from the role-playing games I love to play, the RPGs like Final Fantasy uh, and Chrono Cross when I was growing up because there was magic in them, you know, and there was more variety of the characters. And so I was more likely to see someone who looked like me in a fantasy video game than I would read about in the world's of the books that i loved and so i'm pulling from i'm pulling inspiration from musicals and i'm pulling it from my years in marching band and looking at the world and You know, also from my own failures, because I can think of the moments when I have failed to be a good person. And I'm kind of trying to write these stories in a way where young people can hear them and I'm not telling them what to do or what to believe or how to behave. But I'm like, here are the mistakes we have made in our world. Here are the individual mistakes that I have made. Please learn from these so you don't have to do it again. But how do you tell that to young people? You have to tell it in in, in story, you know, and then you grow up and you begin to think deeply about the world around you. Uh, At least that's what happened for me.
1: How long from when
0: you first had the idea to when you brought the idea to life? Like three days. (laughs) um, uh, I came up with the idea on Friday. I wrote the first draft of the first episode Friday, sent it to my friends. They hit me back with feedback that Saturday morning, and then I recorded it, and then I mixed and produced the episode uh, that Saturday and Sunday and I launched it that Monday, so I believe the first episode came out October 6th uh, 2018 so it was about a three-day period from inspiration and thought to actually putting it out there
1: um, And seeing what happened wow Wow, so can you talk about some of the um, Some of the supporters of the idea I know you mentioned some of your your friends You know what who are some of the big supporters of Fly's fables?
0: Uh, I I really got to shout out um, Elena Fernandez-Collins. She has a newsletter called Audio Dramatic that comes out with the Bellow Collective, and she's a podcast reporter, and she was one of the first people to really... You know, pay attention to Fly's Fables in a real way uh, and review the episodes and and help get it the attention that I don't think I would be able to have gotten so quickly uh, if she hadn't helped put it in front of people. So I've got to really shout her out and the Bellow Collective and also Will Williams, who is also a podcast reporter. Um, They they both actually, Ellie and Will, on their separate list of best podcasts of 2018, you know, pick Flyest Fables. And so I have to, you know, recognize them for that. And then my team of people I work with at 1A, uh, the individual producers, have told their friends about it. Uh, they've, they've shared it with their, their networks. And so, you know, granted, I created this thing, but I've had friends who lifted it up along the way. I've had people I had never met, like Ellie and Will, who helped lift it up. So they, they have been some of the big supporters. And the audio fiction community in general has been really great about sharing the show with other people and making sure people know it exists.
1: Yes, Ellie and Will are, uh, they're amazing. Uh, they've done they so are. much. They've done so much <laughs> for the audio drama community and big, big, big fans of them. Without naming any names, who are some <laughs> of the, the, the critics of the idea? I mean, ha, have you gotten any, um, I guess, feedback mm. on on Fly's Fables? Is there anything people are not loving? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, all the feedback
0: I've gotten so far has been positive. And I know at some point the critiques are going to come in. It's about managing those and figuring out which ones are worthy of my consideration and which ones are not. Uh, but when we think about people who have not been as supportive you know, um, pretty much like some of the, the mainstream folks who are still like, well, what's the point of this? What are we supposed to do with this? How do we make money off of this? Um, and so I haven't gotten a lot of support from that, but you know, like I said, that's, that's okay, you know, because the biggest critique I've heard from them is how do we make money off of it? How do we make money off of this? And so I'm like, oh, okay, you don't understand what I'm doing because you jumped immediately to money or I've heard from folks who are in these positions of power, these gatekeepers who will be like, well, how, you know, what's our audience for this? And I'm like, I just told you your audience for this. And like, I've directed it to that audience, but I'm reaching a broader audience because of the universality of my shows And so I've had some of those white gatekeepers not understand the story, and I'm like, that's the very reason we need it, because you don't get it. And how do we reach out and diversify our listenership if we don't create the content and then we don't support the content that has been created? Because what tends to happen is they're like, well, let's go with, we want to, you know, support the idea that we've seen has been proven to work before in another capacity. And what happens when you do that is you continue to mainly support the ideas from white cis-heteronormative men, because you've said they've worked before. Well, why did they work before? Because the way our society works, those opportunities were presented and given. So if you want what you say you want, this diversifying of our listenership as the current listenership you have ages out, then you have to start supporting this content. Because once you support it, you will see the support coming in from the outside and you'll go, oh, it does work. It does. But the opportunity must be presented. Um, And so that's usually where I'm like getting the critique is because we don't know if this is going to work. So it's about... Um, them not wanting to take the creative risk and leap, but like I said, I'm I'm okay with it because this is a passion project and my heart is in it. So I'm not so much worried about making a million dollars off of this thing as I am just wanting people to hear it.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's so important. You know, having those passion projects and and things that just really uh, really fulfill you. It reminds me, I saw a guy walking down the street near, near our office here in New York and um, his shirt said, uh, don't quit your daydream. And I don't know, that really stuck with me. <laughs> Usually t-shirts <Yeah>. don't really <laughs> stick with me. But um, so this is something that we, we love to ask everybody that we, we bring on. What's the best advice um, you've received along the way and, and who gave you that advice?
0: Oh, wow. Um, you know... I'd have to say uh, Jerry Mitchell, um, who is one of our our midday hosts at WAMU where I work, she she said to me one day, um, she was like, Morgan, remember that no matter what you do, you always remember who you are. And you are always who you, you you know, be yourself, stand in the truth of who you are. Because in an industry where people are trying to mimic what they have seen as successful, she's like, being yourself is the best thing you can do. Uh, It is what makes your work your work. It is what makes, you know, literally you, you. It is what attracts people to your work. So as you progress in this field, if people begin noticing your work more, never forget who you are and surround yourself with people who will remind you of who you are in case you forget. Uh, And I feel like that's a theme I work in throughout Fly's Fables is, like, know who you are, remember who you are. And I think that might be the best advice I've gotten. And I've gotten some incredible advice from people because I've had the opportunity and I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the best in radio. But I I think that's a piece of advice I will always remember uh, and that I hope to never forget and that I've told my friends, like, don't ever let me become that person. So (laughs) uh, I think Jerry telling me that,
1: Jerry Mitchell telling me that is is some of the best advice I've gotten. That's that's awesome. So tell me, like, when... You know, after uh will and Ellie sort of gave you the shout outs, was that the moment that you knew that this uh was successful, or what what for you defines success with uh with this sure um it, it, it
0: might sound weird, but i I felt like I had something special the first episode um I was like, oh, this is oh, this is even cooler than what I thought it might be you know, granted the first episode I listened back now, and I'm like, oh man, I would change so much, but um. You know, success for me, it's when I get the tweets and I see the letters um, from folks who are like, thank you so much. I needed this show. Um, Success for me is when the people who need it hear it. And I would love for it to have a bigger listenership because I want those people who need it to have the show to get the show. You know, when people hit me up. And they're like, I heard this story and it meant so much to me. Or, you know, I play this for my kids and they love it. You know, I had a woman named Faith who was a black woman when I was at podcast movement after two panels walked up to me and said, my daughters love Flyest Fables. And one of my daughters falls asleep listening to it every night. And I'm like, baby, you've already heard this episode. And she's like, I know and I don't care. That for me is success because that means I have found the audience i meant to find. It means I'm continuing to find the audience I'm, I'm looking for. And I know that word of mouth is going to continue to help the show grow. So that is what success is for me. You know? And it, it's also me completing the episodes. Me you know, actually putting in the work. I feel good when I finish an episode. So I guess success for me is just as long as the young black kids I'm making this for keep finding it, I'm going to feel like it's a success. Um, You know, I don't need hundreds of thousands of downloads. That'd be great. But I've got teachers emailing me now like I'm playing this in my classroom. You know, so how many young people are hearing it now? And so that's how I measure my success. I'm measuring it by, you know, is this story reaching the people I'm making it for? And do they feel good when they listen to it? Is this leaving them hopeful? Is it leaving them feeling like they can change something? Is this leaving them understanding that, it's not one person who does it all, but it's all of us, then I feel like I'm successful. Um, And that's just the mentality I'm trying to keep, you know, is just remembering why I'm making this and remembering who I'm making this for because I don't want to get caught up in the numbers, the downloads. You know, granted, I love seeing them go up, but I don't want to get caught up in that. I don't want to get caught up in the money because then I'll lose why I love making it. I'll lose focus, and once I lose focus, it won't be the same. The show will change. And so I want to make sure I stay focused on why... I'm making it, because then I'll keep the heart of the show, and if I'm able to keep the heart of Fly's Fables as it is and grow and evolve with the show, then that's a success for me. That, that's how I would measure success.
2: All right, Thanks, Joey. That was great. Uh, his storytelling is so powerful, and I love how Fly's Fables transcends age, race, or social standing. But in such a saturated market right now, why do you think this was a good idea?
1: Well, I just I love that Morgan's uh,
2: focused on new audiences,
1: and, um, and I think the fiction podcast category is quickly growing, um, and I just love that we have representation in that field. Great. And where can we go to tune in to Fly's Fables
2: or see any of his other work?
1: Uh, you, can, you can find Fly's Fables on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I would also recommend checking out his transom piece, Runaway. It's one of the first or few fiction pieces that has come out of the Transom workshop. And also I would check out his live performances on Story District's YouTube channel.
2: All right, great. Thanks, Joey. And thanks everyone for listening to Gray Matter. For more from founders, creators, and inventors and how they thought up their ideas, be sure to subscribe to Gray Matter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate, review, and tell your friends. Follow Gray's social pages for more information about Grey and new upcoming podcast episodes. And thanks all for listening to Grey Matter. And before you go, as a little bonus, check out a snippet from Fly's Fables.
3: The deeper she went, the brighter the flames became, and the livelier they grew, reaching out tendrils that caressed her as she passed, and she shook her head at their touch, trying to shake free from the thoughts that swamped her with every fiery caress visions of the kingdom of Araminta but not the home she knew and not of the people she knew and suddenly as surely as the path behind her stood blocked by ice the one before was swiftly blocked by a scorching wall of flames and she reared back from the heat unlike the rest of the fire this one burned a brilliant purple and she gasped as the wall swirled and twisted before her before it rushed backwards with a booming sigh and Imani found herself standing before a large room with a ceiling so high she couldn't see where it ended. Where am I? She spun in a slow circle as she entered the massive room, her eyes dancing over the words inscribed in its walls, words that shone brilliantly, words that spoke of things she had never known. The very center of the world is where you are, my dear. Imani spun on her heel, and her thoughts crashed against one another with the soft confusion of waves against an unfamiliar shore. And she bit back the cry that threatened to leap from her mouth as her eyes fell on the woman before her.
1: Grey Matter is hosted by John Petrulis, produced by Graham Nolan, Christina Torres, and Joey Scarillo. Mixed at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.